Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. You can email me, my friends, your thoughts, your opinions, comments, your fears, your hopes for sanity to return uh, to our government, limited government, constitution, any of those things. I welcome them all. Todd at com. Also, again, adoration and praise can be thrown in there. Don't be afraid to do that. Kidding, not kidding. It's good to be here. Hope you had a great weekend hitting the ground running here uh, this Monday morning. I want to start. I want to start with this whole discussion of, well, we're going to look at the COVID-19 relief package number. What are we on? 47 now? It seems like we have a COVID relief package every five seconds. I mean, you know what? If we want to relieve the damages done by what's happened with COVID. And I'm not talking specifically about, um, I'm talking about the things that the government actually can control, not, not to stop one person from getting the virus, which apparently is now the objective here. Although last week, was it last week, maybe the week before Biden came out and said, look, folks, we can't change the trajectory of this virus over the next few months, whatever's going to happen is already kind of baked in. First honest thing I've heard come from this administration pertaining to COVID. Remember, he had a plan. He had a plan for everything. This is something that the left always have. They have they have plans for everything. And they, if we just have the ability to execute their plan, follow through with what they want us to do, everything will reach, you know, utopia will be reached. Everything will just go hunky-dory apple pie just as everything should if we only implement the plan of the left. The truth is, the truth is this is quite naive. It's not how politics and government works, and we talked about not how life works. We talked about that last week. So we got this COVID bill, this bill, right, COVID relief. Um, And again, if the government really wants to do something about it, how about they just open up? How about they stop putting restrictions on uh, on businesses. Now, I'm fortunate enough that I live in a part of the country that's not been hit as huh, with with the government intervention as as dramatically as people that live in places like New York City, uh, Seattle, uh, you know, t- West Coast uh, West Coast places like uh, California, Los Angeles, in particular, uh, Michigan, our neighbor to the north. Um, places like that, places where Democrat governors are in charge, there's been more extreme actions taking, uh, taken against businesses. So the first step is, is if you want folks to be able to function again, then let them function. If you want to recover from the economic impact of what's been happening with COVID, you'll let people live their lives again. 
Am I saying we have to abandon all the uh, recommendations and all these sorts of things? But I am saying, I am saying that stopping people from providing for their families is not the solution. It never has been, and it never will be. But nonetheless, these jokers think that they can pick and choose which companies, which industries, which types of businesses can succeed and which have to pay the price by closing their doors, sometimes for completely arbitrary reasons. Right? You go to you go to some places, the big box stores, for example. I had to get something at Walmart over the over the weekend. And you see people everywhere, but they don't want you to go to church in some places. That's a totally different situation. There's someone that's passed away in your family. They don't want you to go to a funeral. You can go out and have a Black Lives Matter rally. Antifa can protest in the streets. But if you go to a MAGA rally, that's a super spreader event. I mean, it just, it just none of this makes sense. But nonetheless, this is where we where we find ourselves here early into the uh, Biden administration. So I want to talk about this this legislation, right? What's in this legislation to relieve the effects of COVID, supposedly the, the economic effect, although there are some other things as well that's in this bill um, that has to do with via, uh, vaccine distribution and so forth. Um, there's a competing Republican version of another stimulus bill that 10 Republicans and one of our senators here in the state of Indiana, Todd Young, is a part of that group of 10, along with Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, who did I see has an 84%? Did I see Romney has an 84% approval rating amongst Democrats? That may have been a joke. Maybe true as well. But anyway, he's meeting. uh, They want to meet with Biden about their version of the bill that's, again, just... uh, Taking this one point nine trillion dollar Biden plan, and it's it's the same sort of thing, just less of it. But here is what is in Biden's uh, Biden's plan, the American Rescue Plan, and we're going to get into this whole discussion of um, reconciliation versus passing the Senate through the normal rules and that sort of thing as well. Um. The Biden plan includes a $1,400 stimulus check per person, um, which when added to the $600 that many folks received back, what was it, the end of the year, the beginning of the year? In fact, I don't even know if everyone's received the $600 uh, check yet, those that received it by mail. In fact, I think I know a couple of people who said they hadn't, but that, that's been maybe a couple of weeks ago. They just re- We've just received them, you know, people who've who've – um, qualified for this. Now they want to do another $1,400 check per person. I think this is per adult. Uh, but folks, <laughs> I tell you, this has kind of got me as comical this morning as well. Folks on Twitter says that Biden lied. Biden lied because he was clamoring for a $2,000 check. Biden says, well, wait a minute. You just got $600, $1,400 plus $600. I know that there's radical leftists out there in the you know, out there paying attention to this. And I know that their math isn't the greatest. In fact, they don't have any math skills at all, given how much money they want to spend and so forth. But Biden says 1400 plus 600 I think, he turns to his cabinet and his support staff, and they grab the calculator, and they figure out 1400 plus 600 is 2000 So Biden says, see, it is. It is 2000 
But then you got people like AOC out there saying, hey, 1,400 isn't 2,000. 2,000 means 2,000. 2,000 does not mean 1,400. <laughs> so, so you got this, this stuff going on. But there's a $1,400 stimulus check in there. Um, there's also additional federal unemployment benefits, $400 extra in federal unemployment benefits, benefits that um, some of these are set to expire in March, and they're trying to extend it, add to it a little bit. Um, there's a vaccine delivery, what I want to say, just a plan, I guess. I don't know if that's really the, the case here. There's already been 30 million plus doses distributed in the United States. Biden says he wants to do 100 million vaccines in his first 100 days in office. Kind of set aside 160 billion. I'm looking here at a, a CNET.com article. He wants to set aside 160 billion um, for a national vaccine plan. Of course, if you, you know, nothing says nothing says uh, efficiency like a national plan. Right. Nothing says I mean, this is whatever. I'm not saying there can't be any discussions about the coordination, but my goodness, the the idea that the federal government is equipped to do this by themselves um, is a little bit a little bit silly to me. But nonetheless, this is the plan. This is you ever notice, by the way, when there's a catastrophe, like let's say there's a um, a hurricane that hits a region, these nonprofit groups are in there immediately helping those who have been hit the hardest by the hurricane or whatever disaster hit, the federal government takes them, it takes forever. They're just not built for that. There are things the government does well. It's not much. And it's actually defined in the Constitution. There's a radical idea in today's world. Twitter might ban me for that. But anyway, you've got, you've got the role of government and what it can do, what it's supposed to do, what it's good at. And then, of course, that's never what the, the – the folks that run government never want to do the things that the government's supposed to do. They always want to do these other things that can never be accomplished. They cost more money. They give them more power um, that they can go back to you in a couple of years and say, see, we had great intentions. This was the plan. We just didn't have enough money. We didn't have enough power. Next time, give us more. And people say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. So anyway, they want to distribute a nationwide, a nationwide vaccine t- uh, plan. We've got child tax credit expansions. And the other thing I want to get to here is raising the minimum wage. The minimum wage is tucked in to this this legislation. So they want to raise the minimum wage from $7.25 an hour. That's the national minimum wage. Some states have higher minimum wages. Some states actually have lower Georgia's one of them. I don't know. The, I can't think of the other one off. Maybe I want to. I don't know. Alaska or something. Seven dollars and twenty-five cents an hour is what the current national minimum wage is, and they want to expand it to fifteen dollars per hour. So I want to talk about this. This as well. But this is the bill. So you've got a competing Republican piece of legislation as well. That's the same general stuff. I don't think the minimum wage is in there, but I could be – I need to look at that before I say that for certain. Um, It's just less money, and so we get the competing bills. We've got Biden out there saying this thing needs to pass. They want it to be bipartisan. 
But if it's not bipartisan or if, if Republicans don't want to get on board, then they will use a tool called reconciliation, budget reconciliation, which we'll talk about that as the program comes together. The Senate rules currently uh, currently allow for something called the filibuster, which basically, for all intents and purposes, requires 60 percent or 60 well, percent, 60 Republicans, 60 senators, I should say, 60 percent of the Senate uh, has to basically agree because of the filibuster rule to move forward with something. You don't need simple majority. However, you can get by with just a simple majority vote if trying to pass a piece of legislation if you uh, initiate something called budget reconciliation. You can do it a maximum of three times per year, and it has there's very specific rules of things that it needs to be applied to. Um, it was actually used to pass Obamacare. It was actually used to pass the Trump tax cuts as well. Um, some folks say practically you can only do it twice a year, but I think you can use it up to three times a year based upon the type of bill and so forth. But anyway, um, that's what they're talking about using. And I want to talk about this because this is – I've said this before. <clears throat> I've said this before, but what the radical left means – when they say bipartisanship is, hey, you do things our way or we'll force it through anyway. And that's effectively what we're looking at here. So $1.9 trillion rescue plan, COVID rescue plan number 49 or whatever we're on now. I'm never, never occurring to some of these jokers that the biggest rescue they could provide is simply getting out of the way of American enterprise, of American business easing the restrictions and the regulations on folks um, that, that have been struggling for a long, long time. Businesses have taken a massive hit because not just because of the virus. That certainly is a, is a factor. And that, by the way, is not anyone's, anyone's fault except for, uh, well, there may be some problems in China based upon how this thing spread to begin with. But that's another question altogether. You can't stop a virus, right? No matter how many masks... Fauci wants you to wear, which we're currently up to two, maybe three or 12 or 26 next week. Because if, if two works better than one, why not three, right? I mean, that's the way that this goes. But anyway, there's nothing we can do uh, to, to stop the virus. Ultimately, we can all try to take precautions and wash our hands and all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing or anything like that. What I am saying is the idea that the government can say, the virus will be stopped is about as ludicrous to me as saying I'm going to cure cancer, diabetes, and Alzheimer's, as Biden has promised us, keeping my eyes open for that because that's something that we can actually all get behind and be in favor of. But anyway, so now we've got that bill. We've got this legislation that's coming down the, uh, the, the, down the way here, and we've got competing bills, and we've got this discussion of – budget reconciliation. So we'll get to all that on the other side of this break. Sit tight. Be back here in just a minute. Welcome back. 
You know, this program is brought to you by our friends at Spur of the Moment Creations. Guys, Valentine's Day is quickly approaching. Today, the calendar turned. We're looking at February. Here in a couple of weeks, Valentine's Day will be here. And what what woman do you know? I was thinking about this during the break. What woman do you know that doesn't like candles? Well, Spur of the Moment Creations creates handmade hand poured homemade hand poured candles and melts they're located locally in fishers and they sell only through their website currently their website is spur of the moments creations.com spur of the moments excuse me spur the moment creations.com spur the moment creations.com you can shop there find something um and shop candles homemade hand uh, hand poured candles spur the moment creations.com check them out so want to get back into this reconciliation thing so i've i've referencing the heritage foundation here heritage is a good place to go i think to get um now that they're a conservative think tank but they're they're fair-minded they're they're um they're not some of these folks in the world of I guess think tanks are so politically biased that they don't really present always reliable or accurate information. They really want to achieve their ends at whatever cost. That's not the bucket that Heritage Foundation falls into. They are very fair-minded and objective, and they try to explain things, and I think it's a good place to go. In fact, you can – maybe we'll post this later today if you want to see this as well. But anyway, they're talking here about reconciliation. And this is what they write. This is written a couple of years ago. Um, so some of their their data may be different because things have happened since then. But he, it says this, of all the obscure processes and procedures in Congress, one stands out because the House and the Senate uh, use it to navigate decisions on spending tax, uh, taxes and budget deficits. It's called budget reconciliation and americans have become more aware aware of it because of obamacare democrats in congress used the budget reconciliation process to pass the new health care law in 2010 and republicans later used it to repeal obamacare in 2015 with a new republican president willing to sign a repeal republican lawmakers want to do the same again so this is again written at the time when trump was uh, taking office Reconciliation makes it easier for Congress to change existing law to bring spending and revenue in line with the priorities laid out by the annual budget resolution. To achieve the budget's uh, the resolution's budgetary goals, sometimes Congress has to pass legislation changing revenue, spending, or new or, or debt limit laws. Lawmakers, in other words, set out to reconcile existing law with the latest priorities. Since the House and Senate first used the process in 1980, lawmakers, as of the end of 2016, have turned to the expedited procedures to pass 24 reconciliation bills. 20 were enacted and three were vetoed by Clinton. One was vetoed by President Obama. So they give the the steps here of what it looks like. There's five basic stages, and really the first couple of stages are the ones that are different, and they're not – they're not dramatically different. They are internally, but from a from a you know just from a process where we're observing what happens, it doesn't look all that different. They basically just have to um, 
the resolution has to contain instructions to specific committees on how to develop the legislation to desired uh, to create this desired budgetary result. And then it goes through the House and the Senate. It has to pass, of course, both both houses identical verbiage in the legislation, and it has to be signed by the president. Now, where this gets a little bit different is in the Senate because, again, there's a 60-vote threshold typically in the Senate so long as they keep the filibuster rule, so long as they keep the filibuster rule, which basically means that um, a senator, a single senator, can basically keep debate open on an issue as long as he or she wants until there are 60 votes ready to invoke cloture and and close off the debate and move to the vote uh, portion in the Senate, right? So a bill bill is introduced in the Senate. You have debate on the issue. You know, you, you recommend amendments and you debate it and all that sort of stuff as it's going going through the Senate, and to end that process, the filibuster rule is that you have to have 60 folks agree, 60 senators agree that it's time to stop debating this and let's call it for a vote. So you may have – you may only need, you only need 51 votes for the bill to pass, but you have to have 60 votes because of the filibuster rule to call it to call it to a vote. This – Reconciliation bypasses all of that. Reconciliation makes it so that only half of the senators have to vote ever. They can't. Uh, they cannot filibuster this. They cannot. Um, they can't continue debating it, and the reason is because you know the, the idea. The idea is, hey, we. These are things we've already agreed upon. We're just trying to financially deal with things here to make it, you know, to to get our kind of our house in order. And there's specific rules on this. You can't, uh, you cannot, or you sh- you should not be able to call into, you know, create something in this piece of legislation that's a new idea. Um, Although you can make the case they certainly did that with with Obamacare when they passed it. But nonetheless, nonetheless, this is a process that's designed to, you know, kind of work on deficits and spending and allocating funds for things that have already been described on there by bypassing the normal way of doing things. Now again, there's very strict rules. There's only, you know, specific types of bills that this can be done with. Two or three per uh, per year is all that we can see go through the reconciliation process, but you can see where this can this can be abused. Now, there's a rule in this reconciliation process in the Senate that's called the Bird Rule. Now, I want to pause here. The Bird Rule is named after the former Democrat senator from the state of West Virginia, Robert Byrd, who literally was a former leader in the Ku Klux Klan, KKK. So my first question is, why are we not changing the name of this rule? I mean, we got to change the names of, of Abraham Lincoln Elementary School in 
San Francisco or wherever we're doing these things, why in the world are we still calling this the bird rule? In an era where monuments are being taken down, in an era where we have to change the name of every school to make sure that the person it's named after um, you know, didn't ever do anything that a society today disagrees with, whatever the case, whatever the, the, the checklist is, whatever the litmus test, certainly Robert Byrd does not pass it. But nonetheless, that's the name of this thing. So, But if, if there are uh, things that are trying to be implemented using reconciliation during, you know, during this process, if it doesn't have to do with spending taxes, the debt limit, or deficit reduction, someone, a specific senator, can cite the Byrd rule and basically, there can you know, we we can have a decision, a discussion uh, as to whether or not something in that bill, in that reconciliation bill, uh, does not actually go is is not attached to it because it's not strictly dealing with taxes, spending, deficit reduction, debt limit, that sort of stuff. So that's where we are. This is being floated around out there. Biden's out there saying, I'd love to have bipartisan support, uh, but we're going to pass this thing. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's what he said the other day as he was boarding Marine One, I believe. No ifs, ands, and buts. This has to pass, and if if Republicans don't come along with our plan, again, this is what Democrats mean by bi- bipartisanship. We're in control now. If you want to be a part of this, you can vote with it. In fact, I got a soundbite from Jen Psaki talking with uh, Rachel Maddow that I'll play after the break. Hey, if you want to vote for it, vote for it. We would love it to be bipartisan, but if not, we're going to force this thing through anyway. It's our way or the highway. That's basically what they're saying. So we'll see where this goes. But again, this is what's happening. I just wanted to give you a little bit of framework and understanding, and it's important to understand these things because, folks, this is the sort of stuff that can be completely um, abused, misused, um, and it's the first piece of legislation. Think about this. It's the first piece of legislation, really, that we're talking about here in a Biden administration. And what are we talking about? We're talking about unity, bipartisanship. Nope, nope. They're going to use reconciliation instead to cut out the Republicans even from from the conversation. So quick timeout is in order. We'll come back. I want to play the soundbite from Rachel Maddow talking with Jen Psaki. We'll do that on the other side of the break. Sit tight back here in just a minute. So let's listen to this soundbite. Soundbite Rachel Maddow has on her program White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki talking about this whole process of budget reconciliation, this COVID relief plan. And this is what she says to Jen Psaki. She says, if there are two shots at that, and she's talking about passing a piece of legislation via budget reconciliation, which we talked about last segment. And that is going to be the way that some of this legislation moves. Are we right to expect that that would be for the COVID legislation, the American Rescue Plan? That's this piece of legislation we've been talking about. 
and also for the big jobs and infrastructure bill, the Building Back Better initiative. And this is what Jen Saki says in response. Well, I know there's been some reporting on this. We haven't even proposed. The president hasn't even proposed the jobs package yet, which he's going to do uh, soon uh, in, in, in coming weeks. Um, but I will say on the COVID package, uh, you know, the challenge we're facing right now, Rachel, as you know, and you talked about this on your show, is there's urgency here. Uh, you know, if we don't have certainty, if the American people don't have certainty about being able to put food on the table when we hit this um, unemployment cliff uh, in March, uh, if we aren't able to plan for how we're going to reopen schools, you know, this can't be a game that's played where we wait and wait and wait and negotiate and negotiate and negotiate. We absolutely want it to be bipartisan, but this is one of the tools that we can use. And it's, a, as you noted and you've explained on your show, it's a parliamentary procedure or step. Now, even if it goes to reconciliation, uh, Republicans can still vote for it. They, there's no blood oath saying they can't. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep trying until the end. But, but there's an urgency here, and that's really our priority right now. And is it true that the president has— There you go. Hit the wrong button. Republicans, Republicans can vote for this. Republicans can still choose to be bipartisan and do what we want and vote for this legislation. There's no blood oath, she says. There's no blood. There's no blood oath that says they can't vote for this, but we're going to pass this, and we're going to tell them that we're trying to be bipartisan. And what does that mean? Does that mean that we implement any of their ideas? Well, we'll see. Republicans, at least this group of ten Republicans that include Todd Young and Mitt Romney, it's the same general piece of legislation, just not spending quite as much money. But look, I, the idea. That they're going to take the, – the idea that they are going to um, pass up on the opportunity to do things like pass the minimum wage increase, which I want to talk about next segment. I want to talk about this next segment. I know some people um, think that this is a good thing. I do not think this is a good thing, and it's not because I hate people. Actually, I think it's for quite the opposite reason. But nonetheless, the idea that they're not going to use this, this tool – Um, to push through what they want. They're not interested, folks, in bipartisanship. They're interested in implementing their agenda, which now has been really hijacked by the radical left in the Democrat Party. Bernie Sanders, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Elon Omar, and so forth. These folks have, have created a lot of pressure on the party to where there's, there's no, there's no blue dog Democrats any longer. This is, the party that's being taken over has been taken over by the radical left. And they're not interested in compromise. They're not interested in negotiation. That's what she was saying here. We're out of time. This has to be done immediately. Right? It has to be done immediately, even though we're on COVID relief plan number 609. Right? We have to do this immediately. And by the way, what they're going to do with this is they're going to say when, when things inevitably, unless Biden completely uh, crashes the economy headfirst into the ground, which candidly could be the case. Let's just be let's just be candid here with the way that the Democrats view the economy. Reagan summed it up well. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. If it stops moving, subsidize it. This is the radical left's viewpoint on how to manage or lead an economy. And so we're definitely facing some serious concerns in the economy with these jokers at the helm. 
Um, but the economy is resilient as well. The American people are resilient. The business community is resilient. And as long as we have things within our control, we will typically find a way to thrive, not to survive, but to thrive. But there is a breaking point, my friends, and we've seen this happen throughout history with burdens placed upon the private sector that are too much for it to bear, and it cannot sustain itself. So we're certainly that is a concern. But when the economy, not, not barring all that stuff, but when the economy should improve just through the course of natural um, people making decisions for their own businesses that are making improvements and getting out of this, this COVID mess that we find ourselves in, and really the government response to COVID is the mess that we're in. But as we get through that and as we move out of that and we begin to thrive and survive, well, survive and then, of course, thriving on top of that, they're going to point to this. They're going to say, look, Biden came in and saved the day. The Democrats, that COVID relief package number 1206 is the one that saved us, and it's thanks to Biden. Came in, saved the day, fixed the problem. Well, they'll say the left. They probably I don't know if they'll credit Biden or not. Biden's really not – uh, they're not really interested in President Biden so much as they are with you know someone who's there as a vehicle to help advance the radical cause. So anyway, this is where we are. This is the realities that we're facing. Do not be surprised if they use budget reconciliation to pass this thing without a single Republican vote. Don't be surprised if maybe a couple Republicans even still vote for it. I don't know. But they're not interested in bipartisanship. That is the the takeaway. When we're in power, they want to talk about bipartisanship. They're very interested in that because that's how they remain relevant. That's how they slow Republican, conservative, constitutional ideas down. When they're in power, uh, they'll talk bipartisanship. But when it comes down to it, they don't really care so much about that. That's when they say things like elections have consequences, which elections do have consequences, by the way. So. That's the lay of the land on that. I want to talk minimum wage specifically when we get back. Quick timeout is in order, though. You're listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. Let's talk a little bit here about the minimum wage. The minimum wage is something that's currently tucked in this COVID relief package, and there's an incremental series of steps to get us from $7.25 an hour to $15 per hour. Now, I want to say this, and there, there's a lot of confusion about this. A lot of folks say, man, that sounds great. People make more money, right? This is, this is good. Look, I am all for people making more money. I am. But you know what determines that? The value of the work that one does. Now, I want to differentiate here. Some people say things like, well, you know, you can't tell me that this person's only worth this. How are you know, are you are you that much better than this person? Pause the tape there on this because that is not the way to look at this at all. You see, our value as human beings has literally nothing to do with the wages that we earn. The wealthiest person to walk this planet and the poorest person to walk this planet financially, they are equal in their intrinsic value. 
You see, as a Christian, I will tell you, and for those of you that are Christians, you know this as well, that God loves every single person the same. God died for the billionaire, bazillionaire, and God died for the one uh, who has next to nothing as well. And so your value as a human being has nothing to do with what you're, you're earning. What that has to do with deal with is, is what the value <clears throat> you're doing for the company that you work for is, is producing. And so if you want to be more valuable and earn more money, you have to provide more value to your company. That's why companies, business owners, and I've talked to a lot of them, they'll tell me about people who have come in and they've made a salary request and the person says, well, why is it – why are you asking me for that much money? And someone responds by saying, well, I've got student loan debt to pay off and I've got this and that to pay for. That's not the right way to argue um, for your position and, and what you should be paid. The value comes from the value you provide to the company. And in that sense, not everyone has the same value. In fact, there are places that a person – who's a billionaire is less is less valuable if they're placed in a like for example Zuckerberg on the Indianapolis Colts is not as valuable as he is at Facebook whatever you think of Facebook whatever you think of the Colts the NFL that's not the point the point is is to say that the value depends upon what you're doing at at the moment how you're providing and you cannot arbitrarily just make these things up you can't say this position is worth something there will be ramifications for that there will be entry-level jobs that disappear or hours that are reduced because of this. There's no way around it. It's inescapable. You cannot arbitrarily say that a job is worth this much, that all jobs are worth this much in all places at all times for all people. Not the way it works. Wish I had more time to discuss it. I don't. Quick time out. Back here in just a minute. Welcome back, folks. That's about all the time that we have today. I want to say, too, that this program is brought to you also in part by our friends at Intrepid Financial. Intrepid Financial on the north side, Carmel, Indiana. Intrepidfinancial.com is the place where you can find out more about Intrepid. And, you know, if this is something, if you're looking for investment advice and help, consider our friends at Intrepid and you know, not just anyone who provides or makes this program possible. We have a, a site now, supportouradvertisers.com, where you can go and see those folks. And all I ask is that you give these folks an opportunity to earn your business because, folks, they help defeat the cancel culture with what they're doing here. I got to go. Thanks for listening. SDGC tomorrow. Take care.